How do you reach a younger arts audience? Do you create a play to be performed physically on stage? Or can theatre be creative exclusively for online platforms too? That's a few of the questions we'll be exploring on today's episode. This time, we talk about an online play created on Facebook, written in texts and emojis. It was released at the height of a national lockdown and has since become a great example of what's really possible when you work remotely. The question that's lived at the heart of it is how is digital theatre different from film? I think all of these previously quite clear boundaries are in the process of blurring. We'll hear more from artistic director Emma Callender in a moment. Welcome to the Space Arts Podcast. Hello, I'm Claire Freeman, an audio freelancer with The Space, an agency which supports arts and cultural organisations in making the best digital work they can. We fund, we mentor, we help build partnerships and share our knowledge across the sector. And that's how we connected with today's guest, Emma Callender, and her team at Theatre Uncut. They, just like you can, by the way, applied through our website, thespace.org, for one of our commissioning rounds for support on a big and bold idea. But it wasn't just money that they needed. They actually really needed a helping hand in understanding how to make their dreams come true. And so on this episode, we hear from Emma on some of the questions, the struggles that they had, how they overcame them, and the advice that she'd offer others now pondering making the same journey. In this conversation, I'm joined by our chief executive, Fiona Morris, and we spoke to Emma just before Christmas to recap just how mad a year 2020 has been for the team at Theatre Uncut. Emma started by explaining how they came to work with the writer Kieran Hurley and what they really loved about his play, Bubble. Well, I guess it all started on Facebook, actually, because we've worked with Kieran Hurley many times over the years since his first play he wrote for us in 2012. Um, And Hannah, the other half of Theatre Uncut and the founder, Hannah Price, she uh, got in touch and said, I've just seen on Facebook that Kieran Hurley's got a play that he's seeing if anybody's interested in having a look at. Um, So here it is. And we read it and instantly we were like, yep, this is us. Um, And I think there's a couple of reasons why we jumped. Um, One is where the company was at. So we've existed since 2011. We were created in in response to the cuts in public spending, hence Theatre Uncut. Um, but we got to a point where we have done lots of short plays. So our model is that we create short plays uh, written by kind of a range of writers from, you know, Carol Churchill, Mark Ravenhill through Inuit Ellums, Sabrina Mafus, many, many, 57 altogether, uh, right to very um, emerging writers like Sahima Manzor Khan and, um, and Nayala Arbonne. And we uh, were at a point where we were just looking at longer form. And we were thinking, how do we do that? Because we've never been a company to like put a play on stage in a very traditional way. We're not, uh, we do that in our other professional um, worlds, but not in theatre uncut. So we saw Bubble and we were like, wow, okay. So it's set online, it's 45 minutes. It goes into um, a debate, which we feel very passionate about, about the freedom of speech, particularly in the student community, but looking at how that, reverberates in a kind of online echo chamber idea. We love Kieran. Um, Let's start this conversation. 
Um, and the play itself, you can hear it even in the trailer. I'm blocking you. Typical feminazi BS. <laughs> Hannah can say what she wants about killing men. It's totally, totally different. How? Hello. I honestly do not give a fuck. You can hear how those characters pop. Like, Kieran is really good at getting under the skin of people. And so the dialogue was snappy. The uh, debate was fierce. The form was really interesting. We're always looking at things where the form and the content marry in that lovely kind of dynamic way. And this does because it's set online, about online. Talking about the relationship between your, you know, what you, what you allow yourself to say online that you wouldn't say to someone's face. What's the relationship between the online persona and the actual person behind that persona? Um, and so then when Kieran was just up for giving it a future life after it had been created at the Royal Conservatoire in Scotland, we said, yeah, let's start talking. Um, and then started talking with the space. Um, so yeah, the idea was created in collaboration with the space about how it, how it ended up to be manifest. But at the beginning, it just, it ticked a lot of boxes. <laughs> yeah. You see, it's ironic, Fiona, isn't it, that here's a play set on Facebook which was uh, shared and broadcast and published later on Facebook. And then the guys here spotted a post on Facebook by the writer. I mean, other social media <laughs> platforms are available. We should probably state that we're not in bed with Facebook, particularly. <laughs> but like, Fiona, like, when you get something that lands on your desk as someone who commissions and kind of supports artists and theatre directors, how do you kind of say, oh, this could be a good one? Well, I think we had a pre-existing relationship with Emma and Hannah from, from a project that we had supported um, a, a probably like 18 months before Bubble, I think. Um, and so we had a sense of what they, where they were at in the journey uh, that, uh, that Emma refers to and that, you know, their desire to broaden the reach and range of people that they could be having a conversation with um, about the importance of artists, cultural practitioners being able to speak to topical issues, kind of create new work, give emerging talent a platform. We sort of knew that was at the heart of, 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 of their thinking anyway. And uh, so when this project came up, it felt like a perfect example of, you know, it's absolutely about great writing. It's absolutely about talking about this significance of live art and culture, but it takes its entire frame of reference from the internet. And that felt like that was a great way of putting something out into the, onto the internet that would probably speak to and attract audiences who might not otherwise come to listen to or look at this kind of art. And, and so that felt like a bit of a no-brainer to want to get behind it and, and see what we could do to, to help support. We, we've actually we're going to share a blog post which was put on the Spaces website, which um, I think it, it looked into like the making of Bubble and how it was filmed using smartphones. And it, I think it's worth kind of pointing out that this was filmed and done before the pandemic, but it was kind of released. Uh, you know, you had your your watch party on the night of 23rd of March, was it, when we went into lockdown? But I'm really intrigued, like, even then, you were kind of almost working as, like, filmed in lockdown to create this, that many of the cast you never met, 
or they never met each other, that it was filmed very separately. How on earth do you begin to put something like this together? Because most people would just be scratching their beards thinking, where'd you start, mate? I think actually a lot of people are doing it now, mm. um, but they definitely weren't doing it then. So uh, there's two two elements to that choice that we made um, about how we created it. One was that um, in that sense of online debate, there's a kind of distance, isn't there, around the quality of listening that people do inside discourse. Uh, there's a kind of glitch that quite often happens. And so we were excited by the idea of having a cast that all knew the script, so they were all working to the same goal, but they weren't actually aware of each other. So they never saw each other, they never heard each other's voices, but they saw the text that the other one would be saying. Um, and the idea behind that is that the form of the piece is not that they're presenting video calls to each other, but they're presenting typed text. So it's as if they're typing, but they're actually speaking. So it's a bit of an odd form. Um, so when we were trying to pitch this to universities, uh, because we particularly wanted to work with university communities because of the nature of the theme, being the university community and free freedom of speech, then um, we had to really describe, break it down and like convince them that this was even doable, which now feels absurd because they're all doing it. So I was talking to one of the universities, um, York University, who, were, who got on board and she was like, yeah, I remember when you said, um, you, you, you came to us with a project, like, I, I really couldn't get my head around it, but that seems crazy now because we're all doing it. Um, but the second reason, so the first was formally, and then the second re reason was a quiet, nuanced response to Brexit. So we wanted to create a piece that crossed borders with our European partners and to say that we were um, in support of still being able to have free artistic collaboration with our European partners. We didn't want to make a play about Brexit. We, weren't, um, we didn't feel that that was useful for us or anyone else in that moment. Maybe for others, yes, but not for us. But by putting it inside our form of working uh, and collaborating with um, universities in Barcelona, Copenhagen and um, Coimbra in Portugal, we were just saying to our partners, we are here with you. We, we will find ways um, around this. Uh, so, so it was those two elements that were, that were kind of coming together to make that. Um, so we brought it all together. The blog breaks it down in lots more detail if people are interested in the bits that I won't go into now. Um, but each of the performances was filmed um, independently and then all edited together. And I think Ollie, our incredible editor, will, um, will agree with this, that it was quite a task uh, to edit together those performances in a way that um, was dynamic. And, you know, um, I think we achieved but it was a big learning curve for us. We learned a lot along the way um, that we then went on to develop that practice slightly with a piece that we've got live um, at the moment called Safe uh, by Nyella Arbone that's in a collection called Tools for Change that we've created in um, collaboration with the Travis Theatre. And we used the same form, but we just tested out a few different ways of creating that form to make it easier in edit. So yeah, it's it's you know it's a new toolbox, isn't it? It's a new new game to play, mm. and we're loving it. <laughs> See, what do you think the role of theatre is in a pandemic? Wow, wow! I think well, I think there's a bigger question even behind that, which is what is theatre in a pandemic? Um, so 
off the back of the creation of Bubble, because it kind of went viral in its own, you know, in its own way um, and had many thousand viewers all across the world. We had lots of universities approach us from all over the world um, to do masterclasses and lectures around the f this new kind of explosion in the form of digital theatre. Most recently uh, at the weekend, we did one at Princeton um, in, in America and then have done kind of across Europe and the UK. And the question that's lived at the heart of it is how is digital theatre different from film? Um, but then if you start really digging behind that question, which is a brilliant question, then you look at how is film different from content? And then I think all of these, all of these previously quite clear boundaries are in the process of blurring and there's there are negative elements to that you know that there is compromise um in both quality and and kind of understanding in there but but there's also i think something incredibly liberating where these these boxes have been smashed as many things have been smashed in in the last uh you know since march um so so Theatre finds itself in a terrifying position. You know, we're, we're very fortunate and we, we understand our fortune that we're a nimble company that have very few overheads. We don't have a big staff. Um, it's just Hannah and I uh, and then freelancers that we bring in for projects. Um, so we can move fast and we're not a big ship. We, we really feel for our colleagues who are either running those big ships or they're kind of you know, technicians or, uh, or designers that aren't able to practice at the moment. But, but we feel in the position that we're in is that theatre's actually, there's an element of it which is extraordinarily exciting because it's having to recreate itself in a way that it's very good at. You know, we're all, we're all creative beings that are used to having to be responsive. And so it, it's, it's, exploring this new form that I think people like Javid Alipur particularly is like right at the front end of it, you know, with Kirsty Housley um, and many other companies, but, but actually engaging with this form as, as a new artistic expression and the capacity that it has, the, the level of accessibility that it affords, the global reach that it has, always remembering that there's a financial element that you have to have the device to be able to experience it. We must never forget that when we're talking about accessibility in terms of, um, in terms of uh, kind of socioeconomic elements. Um, but I don't know, it feels like we're a bit of a new frontier at the moment, you know? Um, and then I feel very calmed when I work on developments for plays that will actually go on the stage that, with actors, you know, or adaptations of big, big novels that will have casts of 14 that I still believe will, you know, that will exist. But, but this is like, yes, yeah, it's, it's an extraordinarily exciting moment, I think. See, I'm intrigued to know where does the space come in? What kind of things did you learn from being supported by associates and mentors and people like Fiona at the space? Oh, so much, so much. Where do I start? Um, so we came in on this proposal with a like wildly ambitious, rather out there project proposal, as is our way. Um, I'm and... sure Fiona's seen it all. 
Yeah, yeah. It, 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 there was lots of live streaming. There was kind of, you know, multiple performances happening in 10 countries at the same time. You know, it was, you know, a two million pound project that we pitched for, for the lo-fi <laughs> strands. Um, and brilliantly, Fiona saw through that um, and saw a way through that. Um, and so I think the first thing was that they really challenged us to realize our um, ambition and stay true to ourselves and authentic to the, the root of the proposal, but within the resource that was available, that was um, super useful for us to be able to scale that down. Um, and then when we got to that point of going, okay, so it's, it's a piece that will only be presented online and it won't be live. Uh, there won't be that hybrid version of it. What does that look like? And how does that really focus what our goals are artistically and formally, both for the piece and for us as directors and the company itself? Um, how do we marry all those things together? Um, and then lots and lots of digital kind of detail expertise, you know, uh, particularly in the edit and how that process is best managed, um, what the viewpoint and perspective of the editor would be that... Um, we don't we didn't have at the beginning but now because we've got a better hang of it you know that editor probably had quite a hard time with us but the next editor that we worked on afterwards was you know enjoyed the fruits of our labor because that relationship was much clearer and then things like particularly is is it sounds daft but it's the marketing element so um something that the space are always really sharp on is don't just create something and then have it exist with nobody seeing it because the internet is this huge dustbin sometimes, isn't it? Where things can just get lost, totally mm. lost. Mm. And they're extraordinary things that have got lost. Mm. And so we worked with a really great um, uh, associate called Holly Close. And the, and the reason I name her is because she's so brilliant. We're working with her <laughs> right now as well. Again, great. we've kept that relationship. Um, and just the way that she is able to kind of spark, spark things into life. So... And, and that becomes, it's not just marketing. I think that's what we'd always had in our head was like, oh yeah, but that's just marketing, isn't it? You know, we'll take the money out of that budget and we'll put it into something fun, like, you know, graphics or something, you know, animation. But actually it doesn't matter how good your animation is if nobody sees it. So um, now understanding what that reach does, for example, Princeton got in touch with us because she's seen it on Facebook. So then we've got a relationship with an extraordinary you know, professor at Princeton, who now that's going to be an ongoing relationship with the company, looking at, you know, tales of migration through digital narratives. It's, so it's not marketing, it's, it's reach and it's sharing and, and it's your relationship with your audience, isn't it? In live theatre, they're there looking at you, you know, you're in the globe doing your soliloquy and you're looking your audience in the eye. And in digital, it's through these kind of slightly opaque, strange pathways that exist on Facebook and and the many other platforms, you know, the Instagrams and the Twitters and the um, TikToks and wh whatever platform you might be working on, is that they're your audience and they're not just viewers. They're not kind of, it's, it, it's a commercial area and it feels odd to be creative with that audience. But if you start really viewing them as that being a creative collaborative relationship, then it can get somewhere really exciting, I think. And it is, it's exactly that. And, and 10 out of 10, you, you, that's it, you've graduated. I'm gonna send you your Space Academy <laughs> Diploma, you know, the, with the PhD 
sticker on it. No, fantastic. I got a PhD, finally. <laughs> did. It's amazing. Yeah. No, really, really great. Because that's exactly it. And you were saying about the boundaries breaking down between kind of traditional art forms, theatre, television, film. You know, we've seen the film TV boundary collapse with Netflix. We've now seen the the kind of traditional live theatre presentation to, to film and TV begin to break down the, the flea bag phenomena, as I've heard it referred to. You know, these things emerging. But what's really fundamental to, to understand is that okay, but that's one way of presenting work, which is absolutely brilliant, but it is moderated and curated by a broadcaster or a broadsheet or, you know, you you catch their attention and they let you come onto their channel where they will then curate your presentation. What the internet gives you is something much closer to the live practice, which is it's an audience. And in the same way as you go and fly post at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and you you kind of get your mailing lists for your venues when you've got shows going out there and, and kind of you send mail outs to them. When you're online, it's the same real immediacy of wanting an audience to see you. And that's obviously absolutely everything you've just said is correct. It's about seeing them back. It's about getting them to see you as an organization, not just as a single piece of content but what do you stand for why should they engage with you and continue to engage with you and how are you going to support that ongoing conversation because it's a dialogue it's a conversation you know there's a lot of there's a lot within the broadcast and film industry which is quite passive sit there and we will put this in front of your eyeballs you know what the internet has none of that you know it's about freedom of choice it's people moving through clips on instagram at a sort of rate of knots it's about them wanting to say something wanting to hear back from you that's much more dynamic and i think much closer to the live practice and it's fascinating you know because my feeling about um hannah and emma is that they they've all always instinctively wanted to embrace that know that that's the ground they want to be on whether it's about a piece of content that will be presented in a live in a live physical space or a live online space or a pre-recorded online space it's still the same nature engagement about seeing their audiences and wanting to have a conversation with them about the nature of the work I mean, Fiona, you've written quite a bit, haven't you, about engaging in a global audience and and really kind of what to think about when it comes to like direct engagement with this audience. Yeah. Like you're not you're taking out the middleman. You really are looking into the eyes of these people, so to speak, even if it's via social media. You know, Emma, I'm yeah. kind of intrigued from you, like what the kind of pros and cons are for engaging in perhaps an audience that doesn't necessarily go to the theatre or always engage and go to art galleries or museums, perhaps a younger audience. You know, we're looking at Bubble, which is more about university or students. What are the pros and cons of kind of working with that kind of age range, that audience? Yeah, um, I think I think Bubble attracts that audience not only because of its theme, but also because of its form. So like my mum, who has been to see everything that I've done, you know, which has been a, a varying level of provocative, um, couldn't deal with Bubble because she was just like, whoa, too busy. Not, I just can't cope. Like, you know, she's got a Nokia brick as a phone. She, it's not her world. Um, so I think, I think engaging with the, engaging with that younger audience is, well, they're just as brilliant as any other audience, aren't they? They've, every audience is entirely brilliant. So 
that audience for us, um, it's always been a big core of our audience base anyway, because we find a lot of university students do our plays. A lot of lecturers like to use our plays as kind of teaching material. People do their dissertations on them. So I guess that element of that younger audience is interesting because they, they quite often come to it through their studies. And so then they've got that analytical head on as they're experiencing it. So, so be that kind of um, whatever course it is that they're taking, it's not always performance, it's not always drama, you know, it can be kind of sociology or politics or whatever, but they kind of go deep with it because, because they're being asked to through, through finding it in that educational format. Um, but I think the online audience, it's sometimes dangerous to think that they're all younger because, so Theatre Uncut was born online. Like the original thing is that we release plays anywhere for anyone, so that anyone anywhere can do them, right? And so the only way that you can do that is make it so that people can download them online. So that first year when it was about the cuts in public spending, so that was a theme that touched a lot of different ages. And we had a lot of kind of older amateur dramatics companies who were performing the plays because they cared deeply about the cuts in public spending to, you know, healthcare, to social care, as well as younger groups. So they were engaging with us in a way that was just, they would go onto the website, they would download the play, they would print the play, and then they would take it into rehearsals. Um, then we started looking at how we could kind of link things up more. So even in that first year, there was a kind of Skype link up moment where we had different audiences around the world linked through Skype. So yeah, that might have had a younger element to it to be able to um, facilitate that technology, but still there was that wide, wide range of ages that were engaging with us and our work. So at the beginning, that didn't cost us anything. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, a, a really basic website and some free Skype technology. So, so this stuff can be done really lo-fi, really cheap, but it's more important for you to, and we've learned this, that your, your output has to be of very good quality and you have to really be honest and authentic and passionate about what it is that you're trying to achieve. And if you are those things, people will engage. And if you're not those things, they, they just won't engage. And because it's the internet, you can see it through figures. So it's published in front of you. Do you know what I mean? And that's really like stark, like, oh, people only watched for three seconds. Oh, or they only watched for 10 minutes. Oh, it's really kind of a bit terrifying. You can't, you can't, yeah, you can't fool yourself around that. Um, so yeah, the younger audience are, God, they're just extraordinary. I think the one thing that we're learning particularly now is you know, I very recently turned 40. So the, the internet came into existence as I was going into drama school, kind of, you know, in our world, you know, properly in our world, kind of 18, 19, 20 time. But the people that have been brought up with it, you know, since they were tiny, the way they understand how to use these platforms in a creative way of storytelling is extraordinary because their minds are wired in a different way because they've had it in their lives for so long. So when we're doing... Um, our in our workshops and lectures with the universities and we're working with those kind of like 18, 19, 20 year old students, this is obvious to them. Like, of course you would do a multi-platform uh, storytelling project, which, you know, existed over, you know, TikTok to Insta and then jumping back into Zoom. Like, obviously that's what you would do. Why wouldn't you do that? So, so I think what's going to happen is that the generation which is coming up, 
they are going to create some stuff in theater, digital theater, whatever you want to call this crazy form, that's going to blow our minds. It's going to be great. And they're going to, you know, they're going to push us dinosaurs out of the way pretty fast. That's probably what a lot of people in arts and theatres are slightly a bit apprehensive about actually no, there is a fear yeah i think there can be a fear though can't they that a lot of people feel like the digital world is something they should be engaging with they know that it's something they have to do but there is almost like a yeah a resistance can be most of it is from fear because as you say not all of us you know have grown up with internet around us all the time it's something over there and it's something we do here and in the arts world you know on stage performance versus film and cinema have often been seen as two very separate things so for some people they could look at what you're doing it's like are you crazy like you're joining those things together whoa Mm, i know but these moments came when people started talking in movies and movies went from black and white to color right hey do you know and people told me that you know when tv came in radio would be dead and i'm still making a living out of audio so you know podcasts who knew podcasts <laughs> like the culture was just going to explode i think in any kind of cultural moment of change transition revolution whatever you want to call it like if you don't want to engage, if you're if you're apprehensive or you don't want to engage with digital and you really don't, then just don't. Don't. Like make great plays on stage. Don't try and do something that isn't going to make you happy. But if you feel a bit of fear about it, but it excites you, then just get involved and think about it in a way. I think what we do quite a lot when we're talking to groups about it is like, just use your common sense. Don't think that it's this kind of out, this thing which is out of your reach. Like, if you've got a story to tell, how best can you tell that, right? So is it a story that your audience, it would be really interesting if your audience had to be like underneath their bedclothes and it was only streamed at 4 a.m. in the morning and that was the only way that they could ever experience your piece of work. You can't do that in a theatre, can you? Well, Punch Drunk probably could, but like most (laughs) companies can't, can they? Um, But, you know, what does that feel like? Or, you know, does your audience, do your audience have to be in a very you know, busy space, but on their own, on their headsets. You know, it's not new. People have been doing this for so long. It's just that now this focus has come on digital. We're all suddenly like, wow, it's this new amazing thing. And it's like, and it's not just artists being artists. And also, you know, I think, you know, you know this, Emma, I ban the use of the word digital. It's a horrible, it's a horrible word. It doesn't mean anything apart from it's used by certain people to make other people feel like they're a bit stupid and they don't understand a thing. But it's an umbrella term that doesn't, because it can cover so many things and nothing that I would say, don't use it. Talk about online audience, remote engagement with audiences. If your audiences or your visitors never meet you in the physical space, what does the dialogue exist? what is it? What's the transference of, of information, of creative ideas, you know? And, and then that's what you do in a live context, but in a remote context, you know, and then separately, completely separately is what is it, you know, what digital technologies are out there that can enhance, change, transform the nature of experience, creative experience. And they're two separate things. And the first one, any artist or organisation should and can engage with the second one. I agree with you. It's it's a question of choice. Is, is it relevant to the art you want to make to use 
and access some of these new technologies. And I would also pick up on the, the thing that you really, really um, very importantly said, which is not everybody has got great broadband coverage. You know, so the idea that everything is about the instant, instantaneous gratification of being on Instagram or whatever, that is not available to many, many, many people. So but, but what we can do is if you create a digital asset, you've made something very mobile that you can take or you can enable to be taken to somewhere. But but I, I think Claire knows this, but we had a great um, example with Hull Truck Theatre Company who's wanted to do their pantomime, Peter Pan, last year into care homes and hospitals, children's hospital wards. And then working out the distribution for that with Sarah Fortescue, our head of distribution, Sarah kind of was, was struggling to get lots of care homes saying, yes, love to do it, but struggling to get a date. And so she and I had a conversation one day where she said, is it okay if I just ring them up and ask them, would they prefer a DVD? And I went, yeah, absolutely, because that is going to be exactly the issue. But for all of those care homes, yeah. of course they want. But two months in advance to promise that they'll have a staff member available to get all the residents in a sitting room with a TV set at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon and able to throw that across from a, for, you know, onto a smart TV. I mean, forget it. They can't do that. But give them a DVD that they can have that week when it's on in the theatre locally and that they know is that therefore they're participating in something that is happening in their community. But it's a DVD and they can decide when they've got everyone's sitting down and put it into you know or a usb stick you know don't sometimes it's just about the the mobility of things to make things more accessible it doesn't always have to be about a broadband connection because i do worry that that is excluding a lot of people particularly for the for the more technological things that you, you know use up a lot of bandwidth <laughs> yeah see i mean yeah. like there's things that are kind of coming out of the arts with like kind of uh, ai virtual reality is that something that theatre and cut is kind of working on or looking towards in the future i'm just curious emma you seem like you're kind of up for that if that's the right term that the kids would say well we have a secret it's not that much of a secret quite a public secret that um hannah price is uh, already all over this. So she is, um, alongside being an extraordinary theatre director, she's also a director of performance capture and motion capture for video games, um, an award-winning one, um, but has also worked in VR 360 camera um, work and has got an amazing piece called In Somebody Else's Shoes on at the Travis uh, Festival online at the moment. So go and see that. Um, so Hannah already has this extraordinary wealth of um, experience in that world that we haven't ever really brought into Theatre on Cut before. Um, and this moment, we are in the midst of doing just that. So um, there's nothing ready to announce just yet, but that kind of, yeah, bringing Hannah's expertise into our culture just seems obvious to do right now. Um, but also I can't wait because I'm really not that, tech, you know, nowhere near as technologically kind of capable as she is. So I'm really looking forward to learning from her as well as we go through that experience. <laughs> she sounds like a very handy partner in crime. She really is. Yeah, she's a good one. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Emma, for just giving us an insight into what happens, how it works, about the fact that you're kind of really jumping into this world with two feet. Um, it's really interesting to hear someone who's kind of striving forwards. And it sounds like, watch this space, because there's more <laughs> to come, right? There is. Yeah, we never really know what it'll be, but 
it'll be great. And I'm sure, Fiona, you're looking forward to seeing another ambitious, bold, you know, Emma's imaginary world's two million pounds project on your table. I can't wait. It lands in the inbox and I'm smiling before I've opened it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope uh, if you have been listening to this, whether you work in theatre or another form of art, but this has just given you some kind of seeds of inspiration in what is possible, really. And the fact that there is a commissioning, funding and also support out there. So if you're not sure on all the how, but you have an idea of the what, then you know that someone like the space arts, that Fiona or a bunch of other people or even dropping Emma a little message on social media that you might be able to make those ideas turn into reality. Uh, more about the, the things that we've been talking about, the articles, the links, it's going to be on the space.org website. And don't forget, tell a friend, text a colleague, about this podcast share the word subscribe and follow Uh, we'll be back with another episode uh, talking to musicians to more artistic directors and also how to reach an accessible audience bye for now